You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to another week of Locked On Indians. I'm your host, Jeff Ellis, over at 24-7 Sports. So uh, I think I mentioned before that I've nearly finished my Indians top uh, 11 prospects list. I have a, a rough top 20 in there. And by rough, I mean I'm going to write out the top 11 players. The next nine are kind of listed in no particular order. And it's going to go against the flow of what you see out there. Um, Brian Ocoio, for instance. Uh, yeah, I get he's got tools, but I'm not going to rate uh, a toolsy kid and rookie ball with low, low production over a player having a breakout year in AA. I just... I've seen too much of how the upper levels matter to to fade or to... And if you look at prospects list in general, it's always very interesting. Because most prospect lists, I bet if you were to take something like MLB.com or Fangraphs, the board, and take the top 20 from every single team, or the top 30 from every single team, because those lists go 30 deep, that you would find out that something like 70% of players listed are in A ball or lower. Now, one could make the case that, you know, there's A, there's low A, there's short season ball, there's rookie leagues, there's more players. But it's also more, each level, guys drop off. That's just the way of it. And prospects list, because of that, inevitably become heavy with players in the lower minors because they have had less a chance to burn out. Eventually, those guys do clear all the way through and you get, you know, your top players, your top prospects. But a way to kind of cover yourself in some respects is to put a lot of rookie players in because then you can be the first on the scene. Whereas what I look at it as is the burnout rate's too high. The fact that we talk about players in kind of A ball or rookie ball, uh, like rookie ball stats have no meaning. Um, they, They are probably the most worthless thing that I have spent any time talking about on this show. I've spent a lot of time talking about random worthless things at points. So, yeah, uh, you know, my basic rule when I make these articles is I'm not going to rate any player who is in rookie ball. I'm not, unless it's a prospect that I scouted for the draft and I know about, um, unless it's a player that I'm familiar with. I don't care how much they sign for. Like Jason Dominguez with the Yankees, I don't care that he signed for $5 million. He would not make a Yankees top list for me. He just wouldn't. That's the rules. It's the same reason that Ronnie Mauricio didn't make my Mets list a year ago. Uh, you have to prove yourself. And in my general view at this point, like nobody should be considered a top 20 prospect who isn't in double A or higher. Like, that's just end of everything. That's that's the thing. Like The point that like Tristan McKenzie was a top 35 prospect in A-ball, even though he'd never added any velocity or bulk that shows to me that there is something seriously wrong with how these lists get put together um because you look at him he's so skinny and tall the the long-standing view was that, oh there's ceiling for days but if someone over three years hasn't added any bulk or velocity maybe it's time to start looking at it as the opposite that what he is right now is his ceiling um in terms of what he can do and it can only go down from there. Sometimes we overvalue uh, future abilities in players. That could be what we got into with Jake Bowers. I mean, we'll have to wait and see. I was really high on him when the Indians traded for him. He'd always been young for the level, and he'd always put up good performance. Never really great, but he'd always been good. And 
now we're seeing a guy struggling in the majors over two prolonged looks. Now, paths aren't always straight, and they're not always easy, and sometimes guys break out a little later, and, you know, maybe there's still hope there. But I think a few years ago, Keith Law had a great piece um, where he talked about the fact that there were teams that were intentionally pushing guys up the ladder quicker because they knew it would enhance trade value. That he knew of at least one team that kind of, I don't know if they admitted to doing it, but that he knew of that was doing this. So they were pushing guys to the minors quicker because if a guy was going to put up average production in low A, but he could instead put up that low, you know, that average production in double A, that his value as a trade asset would be exponentially higher. And that's just the way it works. There's ways to manipulate the system. And yeah, so this is just my way of saying my lists are very different. They're very, very different. Um, on tonight's show, we're going to talk about the Colorado Rockies. There's a, a prospect in their system that I have been exceedingly high on for years and years, so much so that he was one of those guys when I was working on my um, my draft bio for him, uh, I kept moving him up the board. And then right before the draft, when I had everything laid out, I moved him back because I'm like, this is insane. No one else gives him a first-round grade, and I am very – I'm going to put him in the first round. And no one else is even close to that. And now I don't know if he'd be a first-round grade, but he's definitely enhanced his value a lot since that point in time. You know, and that player is, is Taryn Vavra. If you go back and you kind of look at that draft, arguably Carter Stewart is kind of my biggest miss. Um, I don't know if that's really fair to put that at this point. As I'm just going through, it's like Jordan Groshans, high guy on. Um, I think his value has only gone up. Uh, Tristan Pompey, that's someone a name I'd be. I need to check in on. Honestly, I'm going to do that right now. We're on the while we're on the podcast. There's probably too low on the guy after him, Bryce Terang, but. Uh, Pompey was kind of like my guy in this draft. I really liked the tool set, and I was really high on his performance in 2018. And 2019 was uh, was miserable, yeah. Uh, so that, that there's my big swing and miss, far and away. He only played, though, in 43 games. So, yeah, there's obviously some injury issues and bigger things going on with him. But, yeah, that's that's less than ideal. Um, really high interest in Pompey. I had him in the top 20. Um Going down the list, you know, Xavier Edwards, I thought should have gone higher, and he went. That looks pretty smart right now. Um, Alec Thomas I had in the top 25. That looks pretty good. Anthony Sigler, maybe not so much. Um, Grayson Rodriguez, I probably had too low at this point in retrospect. Griffin Conine, too high. But as you go down, it's like Adam Kloffenstein. It's very high on him, and that's worked out. Joe Gray hasn't hit quite as much, maybe too low on Seth Beer and Daniel Lynch. It's it's always interesting to kind of go back. I'd have to really dig into these guys to see, you know, if I stand by what I put here. But that's kind of what it gets down to. It's like, and why was I high on Vavra? It just got down to uh, bloodlines, cold weather, young for his class, middle infielder, walks a lot. And, you know, it's just certain things that I'm able to sit back and look at if I'm, especially if I'm just kind of not even looking at points at, you know, just video. Um, I mean, I sit and I watch video of everyone, so it's, it's a bad example. But there are basically, for me, before I sit down, I don't even watch video. There's checklists. There are things I need to look at that I have found to be extremely effective over the years. And if you're, if you're at about 60%, when it comes to this stuff, that's you're you're the best that's ever lived. So, 
a little better than 50, um, you're still solid. And I think over time, uh, I'd be very curious. You know, no one can really judge scouts. No one can really judge individual people that well, but you can judge me very easily because everything's out there. Everything's readily accessible. I've been doing this for enough time now that you can find the old lists and uh, run me through the ringer, as it were, if there was an issue. So today's show, uh, you know, we're going to continue looking at teams in the baseball and seeing how they could work for a trade with the Indians. And next up is the Colorado Rockies. Now, I said the Padres were a bad fit. The Rockies might actually be a worse fit. Um, The Rockies minor leagues are not strong. Brendan Rodgers missed time with injury, but he's really their only guy who's a borderline top 100 type of guy. Ryan Rolson, last year's high pick, had a good year, but he's always struck me as more of a five. Uh, Colton Welker, there's always been doubts if he's going to do more than, you know, average is always going to be there. But Ryan Velati at this point, you expected him to be higher than high A. Tyler Nevin at double A. It's interesting. You look at their top 30 here by fan graphs. They have one, two, three. Okay, I'm going to do that. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Seven players in double or triple A in their top 30, which is something you know I talked about before. Um, amongst those, there's just not a lot of bats in general. Um, so, yeah, that sets up where they don't, you know... The Indians aren't really looking to add prospects for the most part. So, looking at this Rockies team, it's kind of a disaster. Um, I'm not sure if there's a team that has struck out more in free agency than the Colorado Rockies. Uh, the Ian Desmond signing, which cost them a really high pick. It was something like the 12th pick in the draft that year. It was a, an obscene pick to give up in a pretty deep class. Uh, I remember sitting at a Kent State game hearing the scouts bemoan the loss of that pick. Um, They had just apparently come back from seeing Joe Adele and were quite smitten with him. Now, they wouldn't have had a chance to draft him anyways, even if they had kept that pick. But, yeah, they they weren't exactly happy with the way uh, things had turned out. And Ian Desmond has been just a disaster show from day one. His war has been negative every single year in Colorado. Uh, he's been... A, they've tried him at first base, tried him at center field. It's like the guy was a, a pretty good offensive shortstop when there wasn't a lot of people who were good offensive shortstops. And, um, yeah, he went out and, gosh, I mean, he is still $15 million next year, $8 million the year after that with a two million dollar buyout so he's still owed 25 million and he has been a negative player from day one and colorado really has no idea what to do with him and they're stuck with him so i mean you got to play him every day i don't know where you play him you look at the rest of this lineup and tony walters the everyday catcher uh good on him i mean he was always an extremely hard worker he's a good defender but offensively he's not uh not good He's uh, really bad offensively, has no power to speak of, um, which in Colorado is kind of amazing that you could, uh, you know, appear in, uh, have 411 plate appearances and hit one home run. Uh, Daniel Murphy, the former second baseman, they signed to play first base, and he was a below average bat there. Ryan McMahon, former top prospect, they had play second base, which was 
kind of a surprise because he had mostly played first or third in the minors. He was not good there defensively, uh, was about a league average bat. It was kind of interesting that they had McManaman move to second and Murphy moved to first. Um, and they are stuck with Murphy next year at $8 million and then has a $6 million buyout. So you're looking at $14 million basically owed for the next season. So again, pretty terrible contract. Uh, they got uh, Story and Arenado. Uh, basically, you're hoping Rodgers comes up. He can play second base. I don't know what you do with McManon. Uh, if you push him to first, what do you do with Murphy? Um, yeah, it's there's a, there's a lot going on there. Um, Garrett Sampson was not great, uh, but he filled in a lot of spaces. And then you look at that outfield. Charlie Blackman continues to hit. Uh, Ramil Tepia struggled. Ian Desmond, not good. Uh, David Dahl, when healthy, was was quite good. Sam Hilliard wouldn't give him limited opportunity as this six foot five behemoth of an outfielder who played quite uh, well for them. But this is a team so desperate that they went out and signed Yonder Alonso when the the White Sox let him go. He was actually okay for them down the stretch. And uh, yeah, it's you know Mark Reynolds got a chance there. Uh, it's so just in terms of talking about you know wow this is so they let uh, Adam Odovino go who was an important part for the Yankees. Instead, they signed Wade Davis with uh, an ERA over a eight. This is a team that signed Brian Shaw, who's been a disaster for them. Jake McGee actually wasn't too bad this year uh, on face value, but uh, I mean, just a ridiculously high home run rate. But he's one of those guys you almost wonder, like, oh, if he went to another team, maybe he'd be a useful lefty. But another, you know, big money disaster. Tim Melville, who hadn't pitched in the majors since 2017 and had barely pitched in the majors. Um, I remember, like, the first draft I really covered was, was 20... Let's see, Lindor was 2011, so it would win the 2010 draft where the Indians took Lonnie Chisenhall. And I can't remember the guy's name who used to run the IBI draft thing. He did it for, like, two years, and he was such a Tim Melville fan. He was just going insane as the Indians drafted Chisenhall over Melville and drafted Trey Haley over Melville. And, uh, you know, you can go back and look at that draft. And uh, Chisenhall worked out the rest of it well. TJ House had some moments, but but by and large, uh, it was a, a weak uh, crop. But that's uh, Melville was part of that class. And then you look at their pitching, it's like Jermaine Marquez and John Gray were both solid for them. Kyle Freeland had a, a really big backup after his performance in the past few years. Um, I really like Peter Lambert, but it was ugly for him. I've never been a, a Jeff Hoffman guy. But yeah, the, the, it, how does Colorado find success? I mean, they almost need to have just like a stellar, stellar, stellar pitcher. It's like they need to have someone like Max Scherzer. Like that's where they should be spending their money is going out and getting someone who is the no doubt guy. So, uh, you know, go out and sign Garrett Cole. Like his stuff, Colorado isn't going to mess with. Like it, he can pitch there. They need to stop doing these like somewhat expensive deals and just throw all their money at one guy instead of four pieces because none of those guys work out. So in terms of the Indians, uh, the guy would love to get away from there, but I just don't see a way of it working, honestly, is Scott Oberg, the reliever. He was the best reliever that uh, nobody talked about last year. He is, let's see, he turned 30 at, no, turned 30 in March. Um, he has been... 
getting better every single year, 2018, 2019 in particular. He was extremely effective uh, coming out of the pen, so that's two years in a row. High usage guy, averaging about 58 or so innings per uh, season. And, you know, because he debuted at age 25, he is not going to be, you get basically two years left before he becomes a free agent. But rubber-armed right-hander, good FIP the last three years, Um, really strong performances the last two. But I think Colorado thinks they can contend, so I don't see them trading him, their best reliever, away. So obviously the Indians should then trade for Ian Desmond. I'm kidding. If you are Colorado, you maybe want to trade Daniel Murphy. Because as I mentioned, Brendan Rodgers, he got in 81 games. And it was rough, but you want to give him an extended opportunity. He got hurt. You got to see what he can do. He is the prospect in that system and has been for a while. Yeah, it's story, it's shortstop. That means Rodgers is going to move to second base. McMahon shifting to first makes the most sense. All of a sudden, that opens up Daniel Murphy. Now, as I mentioned, he is owed about $14 million going forward, which a little high for the Indians, but maybe this is a situation where Colorado is already, at, you know, the nice thing is it's $8 million next year and then a $6 million buyout. So it's pretty much $14 million next year. It's just $8 million up front, $6 million at the end. Um, but it could be a situation where if Colorado gets a usable piece, maybe, I mean, teams have very often done deals where the uh, the buyout is completely picked up by the other team. So at $8 million, it's a little more understandable. He wasn't great, though. I don't know if you really want to go out of your way to add. I mean, the Indians do need a middle infielder, but he... You know, he didn't stand out across the board. And if you kind of look at it, going back, his 2018 numbers were not strong either at age 33, 34. Um, He'll be 35 in April of this year. So you're kind of looking at he's already in his decline. Um, I don't know what value would be, especially if they're picking up that $6 million on the back end. You know, the Indians get that kind of rental player. He was very low value. It's almost one of those things to... The point where if the Indians are picking up the other eight million, then Colorado's like, okay, that sounds good. Like I don't know that they could really hope to net much. You know, maybe it's a situation where it's like a Phil Meaton or a Hunter Wood type player going the other way, where it's a useful pitcher, but uh, not anyone the Indians are going to be too uh, broken up over. Um, Murphy just didn't do enough. It's it's. A few years ago, a 780 OPS, you would have been like, oh, that's that's good for a guy at second base. But, I mean, if I go over and we pull up his WRC, and his, his WRC Plus was an 86. 100 being average, so he's not even really near average, which, okay, shifting to second base. But, you know, he was a bad defender at first base. He's been a bad defender at second base for a few years. Um, he would basically be a guy you get... Hope there's something left, and if he can hit, great. And if he can't, by you know midseason, you're kind of hoping someone else steps up. I wouldn't advocate it. Let's put it that way. I wouldn't advocate training for Danny Murphy. I think there's a better way to allocate your resources. Um, maybe for someone like Ryan McMahon, I would be a little more intrigued to step up and offer a price just because he's a guy who uh, who's younger, you get more years of control of. There's, there's more upside there. Um, 
as well. And that's a place where, you know, maybe you look into someone like uh, a police act and try to work out a deal where if Colorado needs a starter, you have a starter. They've got a player that you get multiple years of control of who hit 24 home runs last year while playing second base. Um, there's a logic to it. You know, he's not going to be a free agent. You get him through 2020, 2021, 2022, 2023. So four years away from free agency. And again, coming off a 24 home run year, though he does have the stank of Colorado on him. Uh, his offensive production was not too much better than uh, than Murphy's, but you know he is younger, so that's that's maybe more where a trade would make sense. I just don't think um, Colorado is going to be interested because of their relative lack of depth. Um, Colorado is just in a bad situation. They are a team that probably uh, they don't have the miners to rebuild. They have a good major league roster, but maybe not good enough, especially in a conference that is, or a division, I should say, that is as good as it is. I want to thank everyone for listening. Remember to tell a friend, and as always, go Tribe.